0: So let's talk about the different kind of life, because if you are in Christ, if Christ is alive in you, you are going to be different. There is no getting around this. It is an inevitability. When the Spirit of God starts to work in someone, he starts to transform them from the inside out. And what that entails is suddenly, sometimes without even realizing it, realizing that God is giving you different perspectives, different values, different desires, different values, different way of life that he transforms in us from the inside out, but also calls us to as we try to figure out what it means to live as someone following Jesus in the world today. That's what this is all about. God coming to us in transforming us more into the likeness of who he has always dreamed, desired, And wanted us to be. And for the last several weeks, we have been using that old school covenant made with the people of Israel at Mount Sinai, called the Ten Commandments, as a guide to this different way of life. Now I say 10 commandments, but it's a bit of a misnomer because if you were to read this in the Bible, it actually talks about it as being 10 words or better, 10 concepts, 10 big ideas, 10 big ideas that God wanted his people to follow and conform themselves to as he sought to transform them simultaneously, And each week we've been looking at one to get a picture or maybe a window into that different kind of life Jesus is getting at. Now, if you know him, you can say him along with me. I kind of like to do this because I think it's something good to have at least semi-memorized, right? Are you with me? Um, As best we can. So let's see if we can kind of kickstart this right from the beginning. It starts by saying this, you shall have no other gods before me. It goes on to say, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, or as I like to put, do not carry the name of Yahweh vainly. It then goes on to number three. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Kids, this one is your favorite. Honor your father and mother. It goes to number five. You shall not murder, and let's see if you know it. What's number six? You shall not commit murder adultery. Or if you read that in the 5th edition of the King James Bible, it said you shall commit adultery because the editor absent-mindedly left the word not out. <laughs> Who wants that copy on their shelf? <coughs> but just so we're clear, you shall not commit adultery. That is what we're talking about today. Now narrowly defined, adultery is having sex with someone who is married to someone else or having some sex with someone else who is not your spouse but broadly defined this becomes a big idea for all matters of sex and sexuality because sex and sexuality are important to God in the very center to who we are aren't they and something that we live with and deal with and desire. And there are things that God wants us to know about what a God-honoring sexual life looks like. And this command, you shall not commit adultery, stands as a header for that. Martin Luther, when he looks at this broadly in his, his, small, commandment, his small catechism, will explain this commandment on broader terms this way. He says this, See if we can get that going. There we go. We should fear and love God so that we lead a sexually pure and decent life and what we say and do. And husband and wife love and honor each other. You could see that this goes far beyond just avoiding adultery or not committing adultery, it is so much broader, isn't it, than the simple command itself? And so what we're gonna be talking about today is sex and sexuality. Now, some disclaimers before we get into this today. Disclaimer number one. Here at Fellowship of Faith, we have a very centrally rooted value to be real in our Christian experience. We believe that people who are seeking God today people who call themselves Christian. Well, they have real struggles, real temptations, real passions, real joys, real issues, real pasts. And it does no one any good to dance around these kinds of things. We believe that God calls us here to be real people, to admit our shortcomings, to speak about things honestly. And plainly, and when it comes to the matter of sex, the Bible speaks about it honestly and plainly. Sometimes too much for the sensitivities of certain people. But because it talks about it honestly and plainly, and because it's something that all of us interface with, we think that we need to talk about it here honestly and plainly too. If what we do in church does not interface with real life... What are we doing here, right? And so that's gonna drive the discussion today as I hope to just talk about it honestly and plainly with you today. Now disclaimer number two, I am fully aware that we have a wide age range in our audience here today. And some of you parents right now are already starting to go, oh, where is this going to go? (laughs) I want you to know that it's my delight to make you feel awkward today with your kids. But look, straight up, I respect the challenge of being a parent of a younger child. And nothing that I'm going to say here today isn't going to be something that you would see on primetime TV. I know that's not saying much. But I know we live in a world where your kids are bombarded and exposed to this 24-7, like it or not, no matter what kind of controls you put in place. So I want to encourage you that while I will seek to be sensitive to the nature of this topic today, I want to encourage you to also be aware of what your younger children also might be hearing, experiencing, and listening to. But I get it. If there comes a time today that you need to kind of get up and go, yeah, we're going to go play back there. Yeah, we need to step out of this one. Yeah, I'm going to cover their ears and la, 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 la. You know, I mean, we'll get it if you do that here today and we respect the choice that you're going to make. As an extension of that, when it comes to certain aspects of this talk here today, I'm going to have you read more than listen. I'm going to rely on screens to communicate to try to, shall we say, circumnavigate something. You get the idea? Are we here today? Disclaimer number three. I can't do it all. Topic like this demands such deep contextualization. There's nuance and ramification And I have the difficult task of taking about a 30-minute block of time to try to hit on so many aspects of human sexuality. Please understand that in many ways I'm going to have to speak shorthand, which doesn't do justice to the topic I'm going to have to speak at high elevations, which doesn't do justice to the topic. And I'm not going to get a, be able to get into any every nuance, which of course doesn't do justice to the topic. Which leads to disclaimer four that I'm hoping what happens today is that we begin a discussion rather than give the final word on it. Because each of us wrestle with our own sexuality and what it means to be sexual beings living and following after a God who has placed this in our life. There are so many issues in our past and present, so many questions that we have that sound bites on a Sunday morning or in whatever media you're listening to are not going to do it. I realize that what I'm talking about today for many of us is very emotionally charged and can at times be polarizing. I think when the people of God come together, we should be able to come together and whatever is emotionally charged and whatever is polarizing, but witness to the world what it looks like to have healthy discussions and honest conversations and work and walk together despite what might be heard or said. So there's a lot of disclaimers I know here today, but hey, we know the topic before us. So why don't we just jump in? Chapter one, let's start with the don'ts. The commandment situates itself or poises itself as a negative command. Don't do this. Don't commit adultery. But it would seem that in the Christian experience, a lot of this conversation gets boiled down to a long list of don'ts. Well, there's an important place for that and any healthy discussion about following God. Because not doing certain things is important to God because it keeps you out of harm in trouble. We tell our kid, don't play with a knife. We tell our kid, don't pick up a loaded gun. We tell our kid, don't touch the hot stove. Don't has its place in this world, would you agree? And it does with God on this topic too. So, you will find a list of don'ts throughout Christian writing and Christian history, even in the Bible itself. Let's start here. In Leviticus chapter 18, there's a list of don'ts that God gave to the people of ancient Israel as he sought to explain to them more fully what it looked like to live within the big idea of sexuality. And it keys off by saying this, Israel, you must not do as they do in Egypt, you know, where you used to live. And you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. Don't follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws, for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. You know, I find this to be highly relevant today, even though it's coming from a book like Leviticus. Because I think you could retranslate it to something like this today. You must not do as they do in the world around you. In the United States. You must not do as they do where you'll be going. In your workplace. In your school. In your media hubs of today. God is calling his people to be different than the world in which they live. It was true of ancient Israel. It is true of us today. Make no mistake, following God will make you different, and it will make you different sexually too. God is calling us to a different sexual way of life than the prevailing culture That's around us. We're living in a bit of a wild west of sexuality in our culture today with a lot of confusion, uncertainty, and varying strong opinions. God has a different way. And for time's sake, I'm not going to read Leviticus 18 to you right now. But I do encourage you sometime today, take two or three minutes and just spend a little time in there to see how ancient Israel was supposed to be different sexually from their culture around them. What I'd like to do instead is jump to Jesus here today. And there's one prominent place where Jesus talks about sexuality. I'm just gonna put it on the screen. And he says this, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully or by implication a man has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Can you imagine if we took that literally? We'd be one blind people, tell you what. Couch it out and throw it away. Are you getting the implication? If something is causing you to sin, if something is leading you to lust, to adulterate, to a variant way of sexuality from God, cut it out and throw it away, it's better to be without it than to have it and be thrown into hell. He goes on and he says, and I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery too. Let me unpack this a little bit. There's something profound Jesus is saying here. It's not just what you do that matters. It's also what's living in here and in here. The commandment says, "Do not commit adultery, but even lust of the heart in a way that is not God-pleasing. Desiring sexual experiences and relationships and people who God has not brought you into married relationship with. It's what's going on in here as well, that's central and important. To God. There's something else I think that's significant in this command as well. It doesn't matter what's happening legally. Do you know at some level, God doesn't give one rip about a nation's laws? There might be socially accepted practices in the nation in which you live, they might be legalized. To God, that's not the driving parameter. God always has a different way. And so the trick for anyone who's seeking to follow God is not to be just conformed by what the culture thinks. It's not to be conformed by what the nation's laws are. It's to understand that God has a different way that transcends it. Are you with me? Now, all of this is still high elevation stuff, but sometimes it just boils down to us us as Christians. Just tell me what not to do, doesn't it? Because we come with 100,000 questions. And sometimes we just need someone to say it plainly. Well, throughout Christian history, there's been all these kinds of catechisms that have been written. I shared Martin Luther's with you earlier. There's another one that comes about a century later. It's called the Westminster Larger Catechism. Good old Westminster. Let's give three cheers for Westminster here today. That's so weird. <laughs> What I love about this this ancient Christian document, and to me, 17th century is ancient. How about you? What I love about this ancient Christian document is it just sometimes boils it down into laundry lists. You know what I mean? Let's see how it dealt with this topic back in its day. Here we go. It leads off with a question. What are the sins forbidden as we are to understand the command, you shall not commit adultery? And at this point, I'm just going to let you read. You make your way through. No keeping of stews, ladies and gentlemen. Isn't that great? (laughs) There's some others in there too idleness, gluttony, drunkenness. Isn't that a little bit surprising? I mean, maybe there's an importance to, to that, but, but does it seem like how does that relate except how many people have gotten themselves into sexual trouble because they've had too much to drink? How many people have gotten themselves into sexual trouble because they had too much time on their hands? How many people have gotten themselves into trouble at the gluttonous rave called the frat party? You get in the spirit of it here? Now, can I ask you? Were there some that seemed self-evident in there? Were there some that surprised you? Were there some that went, huh, yeah, but I haven't really thought about it that way? And did you have any moments as you read this list going, wow, this still feels pretty relevant today? That being said, I don't want to relegate you to 17th century documents alone. So now you're gonna get Gadini's catechism. (laughs) And what I just attempted to do was speak in 21st century language and just try to make some of this clear, not exhaustive or comprehensive, though it might feel that way, but trying to just hit on a whole host of issues and questions and struggles that I see in the world today. Get on your reading glasses, here we go. (laughs) It's good advice. Can we just give it up for second cousin love? (laughs) Did you make it? Are you there? Slide two. Think I'm making this stuff up. Sadly, I'm not. Are you with me? Can I go? Slide three, (laughs) you caught up slide four. (laughs) And in some ways, I feel like it's still just scratching the surface. You're going to find principles and commands like this throughout the New Testament. Honoring God sexually and avoiding sexual impurity, not just in what we do, but in our, in our minds and in our hearts and in our desires and in our wills and in our attitudes and in our language and what we consume and what we watch and where we spend our time and who we surround ourselves with. You're going to find it in all kinds of places, but you know, I, I think it's worth saying this at this point. You can read lists like this. Let's be straight up. In a day of very effective birth control. And a day of STI testing. And a day of relatively effective STD medication. And a day when social stigmas have been removed. Where there's legal equality for women and pregnancy does not relegate them to poverty in the way it used to do in ancient life. It can lead to ask the question, are all these biblical rules Are they antiquated? Was it for another time, in another place, when things aren't as they are today? Do they matter anymore? And the more that I read the Bible and walk with God, the more I'm fully convinced that they actually do. Because maybe some of the practical reasons for holy sexuality have been removed. But God still invites us to trust him and what he says. And that has to be enough. We might be able to come up with lists of arguments why this doesn't seem so applicable or necessary anymore. But the fact that God said it needs to be enough. And like a parent with a child, he does not always explain himself fully. But simply asks us to trust him. And sometimes as a follower of God, that means sacrificing what we want, what will bring us enjoyment, what will bring us satisfaction, what will be something we hunger for, sacrificing it to God for no other reason than going just because he says so. Welcome to the different way of sexuality with God. God's saying, I invite you to be different on this account despite the reasoned arguments elsewhere simply because you trust me. And the older I get and the longer that I've walked with God, the more I have learned that sometimes that simply has to be enough. But that's enough of the don'ts. Chapter 2 The do's. Because there's this myth out there, and it's corrupting from the pit of hell that God is anti sex that God is out to ruin your life, deny you cruelly, or spoil your fun. Nothing could be further from the truth. And I think the Christian service has a great history of doing a disservice to the world, of always couching sexuality and what we're not supposed to do instead of painting a compelling vision for what the creator of sex has gifted humanity with. I mean, you realize that God could have us procreating like pine cones, just like dust blowing in the air and complete asexual experiences, but God chose to make this thing called sex. That's the kind of God he is and the stuff that comes from his think tank. God likes sex. God delights in sex. God wants you to have sex provided it's with your spouse, of course. And sometimes I think we need to shift gears in this conversation to celebrate and talk about the good vision God has for human sexuality. So from the Catechism According to gadini put on your reading caps again. And here is my feeble Attempt at trying to scratch the surface of God's dream for your sexual life and being. Got it? All I can say is five acres in Hebron, baby. (laughs) Pine trees all around. She ever ain't going to mow the lawn by those trees the same way ever again. <laughs> God loves. I'm going home. He <laughs> you know? you loves sex. Have you ever read the book in the Bible called The Song of Solomon? It is this collection of sexually erotic love poems between a husband and wife that the Jewish and Christian tradition has used for 3,000 years to be a picture of the kind of relationship that God wants to have with you? Sex is something that expresses the heart of God. It taps at the passion and intimacy and hunger and drive that he has for you and wants you to have for him. It's a gift that he gives. But he says, don't cheapen it. Because this thing called sex is so holy, so good, so sacred, so powerful. I don't want you to do anything to risk messing this up. God is not out to destroy sex. God is out to protect it in all its wondrous and beautiful form. Are you with me? Are you getting it? Are you seeing it? Do you see why God is so about you shall not commit adultery and everything by extension that it might entail? But this brings me to chapter 3. Because essential is as our sexuality is to us, as important as it is to us, and as much that it drives us and shapes us and crafts our decisions both directly and indirectly, right? There's something more significant beyond sex. Now, I couldn't believe this when I was in my teens or 20s. And most people in their 20s and teens might have a hard time believing it. But there's something more important, more powerful, more defining than sex. Our culture today says that love equals sex. And that sex is the ultimate expression of love. So that if you love someone, you have sex with them. And if you love someone, you must want to have sex with them. And all kinds of distortions start to unravel from there. But you know, Jesus actually talks about this. And he says that sex is not the greatest expression of love. He puts it this way. Greater love has no one than this. Then he lay down his life for his friends. He doesn't say this. Greater love has no one than this. Then he has sex with them. Because as important as our sexuality is for Christ... Sex does not define us. Your sexuality does not define you. And the lie that I see being fed in the culture today is that it is fundamentally above all things sex and your sexuality that defines the core of who you are. And nothing could be further from the truth because God says there's a different way. It is not sex that defines you. I define you. God defines you. Christ defines you. Christ is who you are, not your sexuality, your proclivities, your desires, your persuasions. It's why I struggle anytime someone puts an adjective in front of the word. Christian you know what I mean I'm a gay Christian I'm a cisgendered Christian I'm an American Christian I'm a born-again Christian all you're doing is qualifying Christian no you know what you are a Christian I was listening to Catholic radio this week Because that's what I do when no one's watching. (laughs) This amazing speaker was on. Forgive me, I don't know his name, I didn't catch it in the beginning. He's African American. And he said something so powerful that I think the world needs to hear today, not just on the specific issue he was speaking to, but even more broadly. You know what he said? I'm not a black Christian. He said, I love being black. I'm proud of being black. I love my heritage. I love my culture. I am so so glad that God made me black. But I am not a black Christian. I am a Christian. Because blackness does not define me. My race does not define me. And may I extend it to our conversation today? Your sexuality does not define you either. He would say, I might be a Christian who happens to be black... But no, nothing becomes before Christ in my identity. I want to encourage you to think of yourself as something so beyond your sexuality. To no longer define yourself by your sexual present or sexual past or sexual being. But to think of yourself as someone defined by Christ and let that shape who you are. And through that, God will show you what the sexual way of life in him is like. That's where the conversation, I think, has to begin. Which leads me to this, our fourth and final chapter. There's this passage in 1 Corinthians that I'm going to put on the screen. Peer with me between the lines on this one today. Paul writes, He gives a short, quick, non-comprehensive list of identities, patterns of life, behaviors. And my bet is there's not a single one of us in this room that can't identify with at least one word on that list. But look how he chases it. If you are in Christ, you are those other things no longer. You may be here today. And this is a difficult message for you because you're like, I did cheat. Maybe your spouse knows, maybe your spouse doesn't, maybe your spouse died and never found out. But you did cheat. God has something to say to you. He says, repent. He says, I love you. He says, I forgive you. He says, I restore you. Because that, that is who you were. In me, that is not who you are. You might be here today. And you're not married and you're enjoying a sexual relationship with someone. Maybe even feeling guilty about it. But falling back into the pattern again and again. With one person or from person to person. And it weighs on you. God says repent. God says I love you. God says I forgive you. God says, I restore you. God says, that is who you were. That does not define you. I define you. You are not spoiled or used or rotten. You are new in me. Maybe you're here today and you struggle with knowing who you are, man or woman or one of the spectrum of other genders presented in between. Maybe you're here today, and your desire is for people of the same sex and not the opposite. God says, repent, which simply means turn to me. When it becomes something of our heart, how do you stop doing it? No, no, it doesn't work like that. He just says, come to me come to me, I love you. I forgive you. I restore you. That is not fundamentally who you are. And that may have marked your past, that may be who you were, but you are new. Your identity is different than how people want to label you. If you are in me. Maybe you're here today. And let's get real. And you like kids. You hurt kid. You did something inappropriate directly or on a screen. You know what God says? Well, you do if you've been listening. Repent. I love you, I forgive you, I restore you. That may be who you were, but in me that is not who you are. Come here, come to me. And I think if each of us can root our sexual activities, our sexual histories, our sexual desires, and our sexual being in Jesus, we really come to see and then start to live Differently. It's kind of what it's all about. So let's land the plane. Invite the band to come on up. And invite you to uh, please stand with me. You know, when you start to think about it through God's eyes, right? Through God's perspective. All of us in this room are probably guilty, aren't we, of breaking the sixth commandment in one way or another? And not just by what we do and don't do, but by what lives in here and what lives in here. Right now, I want to invite you to repent. Bring your sexual history and your sexual present to God today as you do remember that he loves you, that Jesus died for you and forgives you, that he restores you and offers you a new identity. Today, we pray, God, as people who have broken your will and gone contrary to your way. is a people who struggle in the realm of sexuality. A people here, maybe with regrets, embarrassment or shame. There's a people here feeling powerless against that which compels us and drives us. It's people who have been preyed to weakness again and again. It's people who have sought to triumph our own will over your will. It's people, God, sinful and unclean. We come to you knowing your arms are wide open, throwing ourselves on your mercy. Trusting that you love us. Rooting ourselves in the fact that you forgive us. Asking you to restore us and be the center of our identity today. Lord God, have your way with us. And transform us from the inside out. Hear us God as we put this on our lips together. Hear us as we pray. Most merciful God, I confess that I am sinful and unclean in my very core. I've sinned against you in things I've thought, things I've said, and things I've done. I've not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbor as myself. I know I deserve your punishment, but I know you sent your son Jesus to die for me. Through him, have mercy on me. Forgive me, renew me, and lead me so that I delight in your will and walk in your ways for your glory and name. And know this. God loves you. God forgives you. God restores you. Christ's identity is yours today.